Hey guys, welcome to the REI Dad podcast. I I still haven't gotten used to live yet. This is actually I'm, I'm having a lot of a lot of trouble. I, I get anxiety before a live interview. I don't, it's it's weird. And 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 Doug and I were just talking about this off air, and uh, and he got a little bit of anxiety too. So hopefully our nerves don't get the best of us. Uh, Doug Myers is is my guest today. He is a partner with Revenue. He is the host of the Grow Give Expand podcast. And he retired himself in his 20s, which is really cool. But we're going to get into all that very shortly. I'm going to add you in here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Wayne. Pleasure to be here. I um, The start's always the hardest. You're a podcast host. You know, getting, getting the flow is always difficult. Actually, uh, right before we were on, we were talking about your hair and how you cut your own hair. So I think that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks man now everybody's gonna know uh yeah <laughs> that's not a hey man it looks like you won't cut you cut your own hair thing it's just that we were talking about it and i was it, it, it does right now I, I also look like i'm a pale ghost given the, the vancouver cloudness here that's going on and the inability to find good lighting um but uh yeah i, I did cut my own hair uh I'm, I'm in this transition period wayne i i cut my own hair for literally 10 years um and so uh three months ago it was my brother's wedding and uh, my girlfriend was like if, if ever there's a time to to stop this and get a real haircut it's now so she booked me an appointment i went and paid i paid 35 dollars for a haircut which i think was absurd but they made me look almost as good as you do and i was pretty excited about it but that was three months ago and this is three months and now it's just like out of control and yeah, I, I don't know what to do with it. So uh, I think I either need to get the clippers out again or uh, go drop another 35 bucks. But I don't know. Try to decide. It's, right? so. it's, steep. it's steep, man. This Gabby, my wife, she bugs me a lot. She's like, you know, there's a $70 budget for your hair every month, right? It's every two weeks. Wow. And yeah, it's, it's that you costly, a lot, man. man. But you, you invest but I think the investment's good. Every two weeks, like, oh, man. Imagine the returns. <laughs> In, until it starts, until I start going bald, I think I'm gonna keep doing it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but fair enough, we fair. didn't come here to talk about hair. No, we didn't. We came here to talk about real estate investing. And um, you know, why don't we start with telling everyone why you started investing in real estate investing? What was what was there a breakthrough moment? Was there someone in your life that that kind of pushed you or motivated you to? Yeah, you know, I I had the the pleasure if there's if there's one point in my life that really pushed me towards it is is I had the pleasure of working with uh, a really intense door to door sales company. Um, now I, I had no real interest in at any point in my life in becoming a sales guy, um, let alone doing door to door sales. I thought it was kind of a gimmicky gig, but to be honest, like I, I got in with this company. Um, and the intensity of the managers there and everybody who was involved, this was like a really high performing company. And so the people who were there were, you know, yeah, we'd go do door to door sales, but it was more than that. It was like, you know, how are you going to be a good salesman? How are you going to uh, use the money that you're actually going to get paid today to do things in your life? And at the time, this is like 2008, 2009, we saw the, the financial crisis down in the United States. And so a number of the managers who were, say, two, three, four years older than me at the time, and I was 19, um, were basically going to take their money that they had earned, go down to Arizona and buy foreclosures. And mm. you, know, you had to buy them cash at the time, um, for what I know. And I was just not in a position to do it, still in school. And I just thought to myself, like, wow, if ever there's an opportunity to do this and, and do well, it's, it's right now. I just, I just don't know how to do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the experience. Well, okay, what am, what am I going to do? And it was kind of at that point that I said, well, hey, when I get uh, a pocket of money, you know, say 25 grand, the first thing I'm going to do with it is I'm going to try and buy a rental property. And that was the seed that really planted it. It took me two years to get there and doing co-op jobs through my mining career. And, and I was able to get that. And that was really what started it was, was just being around some people who were, who were thinking a little bit bigger in life and kind of getting lucky and being surrounded by those people. So. That's what's crazy the impact that can have, eh? Oh, totally, man. Totally. And a lot of those guys, like, you know, I keep in touch with them from a, a loose standpoint. And as in, like, I just kind of see what they're doing. 
I mean, some of these guys, you know, they've gone on to get MBAs and they're, you know, working with really good corporations. Other ones have started their own business. Some of them are still in that company. They're doing really well. Um, other guys have partnered with Grant Cardone. Like it's insane to see the quality of people that have come through that company. If they aligned with the vision there, then they've done some really cool things. So yeah, can't speak enough to the environment that was there. So what was the first step? What was the first investment? Yeah, first investment was a duplex in Prince George, which is a super hot market right now for anybody who uh, invests up there or, or who's interested in investing in BC. I still have a property up there. I actually sold that duplex last year, which helped me leave my job, which I'm sure we'll be chatting about. But yeah, that was the first one. Uh, I was 21 years old. I had saved up $25,000 and I was working a co-op term at a mine nearby in Prince George. And I just, I started looking a friend back in Vancouver, their parents sold their house. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if I can buy in Vancouver. <laughs> um, <laughs> they sold their home for like 950 grand. I was like, Oh no. Okay. Not Vancouver. Uh, so ch checked out Kamloops a little bit expensive for me at the time. Uh, Kelowna still same thing. I was like, okay, well I'm living near Prince George. I wonder what's going on there. Took a quick look at the uh, MLS. You could buy a duplex in Prince George for 200 grand. And I was really? blown away. Yeah. This is 2013. It's like 200 grand for a duplex. I wonder what they get for rents. You know, on rent. Okay. Three bedroom place, rents for $1,000 a month. Started running the numbers. Just thought, and, and but like no education at this point. Just what makes sense? Okay. You have a rental income, you have a mortgage, you have expenses on the property. If income covers expenses, why not? I've, this is how this works, right? So <laughs> built a pro forma, um, actually sent it to my dad to be like, hey, am I crazy? And uh, he's like, well, this is very interesting, but okay, I'll take a look. Said it looked good. Um, I went to the bank to try and get a mortgage because at the time I thought you needed 10% down. Uh, and they basically said, oh, this is very ambitious. What do you do? I'm like, I'm a student. You go, oh, cool. Well, do you have a job? I'm like, yeah, for the next few months. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, we, you know, we need more of this and you need 20% down um, and you need $50,000 in liquid assets. And oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I walked out the door. I was like, oh, this is stupid. Um, and then, yeah, creatively thought to myself, well, who do I know who has money and would maybe finance this? And it was my parents. My dad's an entrepreneur. They had a business. And, and I thought, hey, you know, maybe if I can sell this deal to them, they'll give me a mortgage. And sure enough, they did. So that was the start. That was number one. Your first joint venture. Yeah, without even realizing it, you know. <laughs> so what were the next steps? I mean, you're 21 years old. You got your first property. What did it all go perfectly or or was there some hurdle? You know, I remember the night before actually closing on that property and not being able to sleep I, I woke up in a sweat because i was like oh my gosh i'm about to owe like 200 grand this is a, this is insane and i'm i'm still a student like who does this nobody i knew around me at the time like all my student friends uh, you know mining engineer buddies they they said like why are you buying a property in prince george and it gave me this just like anxiety that I was doing the wrong thing mm. when in reality I was just surrounded by not the wrong people per se because I think they're good people they were just the wrong people for what I was trying to do and supporting that um so I got that anxiety I pushed through it you know we did a couple renovations we figured the uh we figured out the tenant situation we got it running now six months in uh, I had a sewage backup in my basement or not the basement the ground level suite and uh insurance claim and this happened literally in the middle of a final exam so i got my first call from my property manager was a call about a sewage backup and the tenants having to be out because the place smelled like poo and <laughs> me going like can i call you back like i got a i'm in the middle of a final exam here <laughs> go back to the exam like you, you can just imagine like I'm, I'm stressed out about the property I'm, I'm doing an exam like it's just weird it, it was weird so no not it didn't go smoothly at start um but it's one of those things you're like I look back on it now and I go dang okay I'm, I was 21 and I was able to handle that situation so 
you know, what's, what's now, right? There's always going to be situations like that. So. Mm -hmm. I want to keep going a little bit further in your story and and, in your, in your, your path to success. Uh, There is one quick question from a listener and Irina wants to know uh, how much have prices increased in Prince George since 2013? Yeah. Prince George has been a great market for me personally. um, And for, I'm sure a lot of people, so I bought that duplex just to give you a sense of numbers. It was 2013. I paid 226.5 for it, and I sold that duplex summer of last year for 306.5. And so, in a matter of six years, it had gone up. I guess what's that? 35 ish percent. Is that is that all right? Am I doing the numbers? Uh, I I missed the first number. 230 and 306. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Right, like it it had appreciated basically, you know, I don't know what eight eight to ten percent per year, That's um, just on appreciation. So it did, yeah. I mean, if you want to compare it directly to a place like say Vancouver or Vancouver Island and, and those areas, did it keep pace? No, but at the same time, it always cash flowed for me. Like mm-hmm. I was making money from a cash flow standpoint, in addition to the property value going up. And so, yeah, I mean, you look online now, if you want to get a duplex in that same area, you're, you're not getting them for less than 320 And that's for like a mm-hmm. fixer up. But yeah. back in back when I was looking, yeah, a fixer upper was 200 to 220 So things have definitely gone up there quite a bit. Um, yeah, I think that was the only part of the question, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so education is pretty important. I don't think you can get to where you've gotten in real estate investing without a little bit of education. Did you start taking some courses around that time or did you find a mentor? Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, I actually, I finished my, my mining engineering degree. Um, I actually bought a second property while I was a mining engineer. I, I bought a pre-development condo with my brother. Nice. So I didn't know I was doing a joint venture. I just thought, Hey, you know, I've got half the money. You can bring in half the money. Let's, you know, it'll be built in three years and it'll be worth a hundred grand more than it is today. That was just my theory. And it turned mm-hmm. out to be true. Um, but I, I took kind of a, not a break, but I just didn't realize that I could keep growing things with, you know, my own resources for probably about three years. Right. So I bought that first property at 21, did the pre-development condo at 22, finished my mining degree, went out to uh, Saskatchewan to work, to work. And that's when I ended up, um, I'm going to try my best to make this story as short as possible, but I ended up living in a really small town with uh, a really smart um, uh, lady who was, she was the wife of a, a cattle rancher and she used to work at one of the banks in town. And she got so fed up at the bank and she started, you know, studying real estate investing and realized that, you know, she could take the money that she had in the bank from her salary and buy a property, fix it up, refinance it, and then take that money out and go buy another property and and basically snowball it with the burst strategy, right? Well, in small town Sask, you can buy properties like that that will cash flow very well in the small towns for like 80 to 100 grand. And for some people, oh yeah. And for some people on this podcast who hear that, they're like, that's absurd. These things must be, you know, holes in the ground. No, these are standard bungalows with basement suites. So you can imagine you're buying a property at 100 grand, fixing it up a little bit, refinancing it for 150, and getting comparable rents to a big city. Like your cash flow on those types of deals is anywhere from 800 to 1500 bucks a month, right? So the the interesting thing about it was she did that on four deals, and then the oil boom happened in southeast southeast Saskatchewan. And her rents like doubled. So she was telling me about this. And basically she ended up paying off these properties and like cash flowing north of 10 grand a month. And you're just like four properties. This doesn't make sense. She's like, no, I have contracts with the oil companies and they just pay me. So they rent a place for like two grand instead of 10, you know, 10 hundred on the year. Sorry, 10 hundred instead of a thousand on the regular market. Who says 10 hundred, right? Who is this guy? Um, and I was like, this is shocking. Like, how do you do this? And she says, well, do you own any property? I said, yeah, I got this duplex in Prince George. I bought it five years ago. And she goes, well, how much is it worth today? And I was like, 
I don't know. Let me find out. Did some research, saw some other comparables. I was like, oh, you know, honestly, properties like this are selling for 280. She's like, great. You just found your capital for your next investment. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you can refinance that property. So she taught me about refinancing. And sure enough, I could refinance it. I pulled out $52,000, went and bought a triplex in Regina and started to grow again. And that's when the light bulb went off. I was like, okay, wait a second. If I had five properties like this one in Prince George and every five years I could refinance 50 grand out of them and use that money to go buy more properties or just fund my life because I don't live crazy, you know, I'd, I'd be done. I could leave my job, right? Mm-hmm that's when things started to click. I was like, Oh my gosh, I could build a real estate investing business. And I don't know whether it's like, you know, Facebook or Google listening to you, but literally two days later, I had an ad on one of those cookie ads on Yahoo sports. It was like free real estate investing seminar with Scott yeah. McGill. And I was like, Oh, this sounds gimmicky, but I'm going to go pick it up. And I did. Uh, in two hours, probably learned three or four things that would have saved me about 10 grand on that deal that I did in Regina. And, you know, I don't regret it, but I was yep. like, oh, wow, that was two hours well spent. Um, and, and I just went into it. I said, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to the workshop. I went to the workshop, went to the workshop, made a really good connection with uh, uh, the speaker there who ended up, you know, kind of being a bit of a mentor to me um, from afar, but I also got to interview him on a podcast and like really pick his brain. Um, and he really ignited that. Exactly. Uh, Alfonso Quadra. Oh yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Great guy. Um, you know, nothing but respect for him. Love what he's doing. Um, you know, helping people out and, and just pushing himself to really grow a portfolio to a massive size. And yeah, he lit, he lit this fire in me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I could do this. And that's when I started to really get educated on things and think, okay, how can I grow a real estate portfolio? So that's when I started studying stuff. Very cool. And that's one heck of a person to be mentored by. He's, I had him on the show too. He's just, yeah, he's, yeah. he's got a ton of energy, very ambitious. I love it. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about refinance um, a few minutes ago, and I wanted to go back to that because I have uh, conversations consistently with people who are outside of the real estate investing community and their belief of what a refinance is, is, is completely wrong. And you try and explain it and, and it's, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for them to grasp, to understand. And that's what most people think of refinances or a second mortgage is that you are, you're almost essentially doubling your debt. Instead of having a $300,000 mortgage, now you're getting a $600,000 mortgage on a $300,000 house. It doesn't work that way. You can only pull equity that you have in the property. You can only pull equity that's accessible. Right. So do you want to maybe go through your refinance, how you calculated, how much money you got out? So maybe people, maybe who's someone who's stuck on this, it doesn't understand, they'd have a better understanding of it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, the way, the way I explain it and, and I'll use it through just the, exp- the, the two examples that I have, or, you know, if you just want to hear one, cut me off. Um, Cause sometimes I go a little bit long. Um, but yeah, that property in Prince George, right. So on a refinance, you can only get to 80% loan to value. Now, the value being what that property is going to actually appraise at when you go to do this refinance. So at that time, right, this is 2017, the appraisal came in at $280,000, right? Now, I had basically gone out and looked at comparables on the market before I went and did this because, you know, I, I talked to, again, this lady who had built this small portfolio that was doing really well. And I said, well, how do you determine what this, what this appraisal value is? Like, how do I know that I'm going to be able to refinance and actually pull money out? And she said, and as I'll explain here, you know, you have an existing mortgage to begin with. Right. I had been paying down a mortgage for three years and it had gone from 200,000. I put a bunch of money into it because that's what I thought you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be completely debt free and and all that stuff. So I was taking extra money from my paycheck and paying down more and more of my mortgage. So my mortgage on that property was one hundred and seventy thousand dollars approximately. And like I said, the comparables on the market were around 275, 285, 290. 
So it made sense. I could probably get 280. So that's what I assumed I would get. I went into my bank, RBC, and I said, hey, I've got this property. I think it's worth 280. What do I got to do to refinance it? And I really didn't know what that even mean. I just assumed that they did. <laughs> like, oh, you want to refinance the property? I was like, okay, well, we've got to do this appraisal. We'll check the value. And I was, and I just asked questions. I said, oh, okay, so how is this going to work? Just like you know, very openly, right? And they said, well, we'll give you 80% of whatever that appraised value is going to be. We'll do that appraisal. We'll tell you what it's worth. And then you can refinance. And you're going to get a new mortgage that's going to pay out this existing mortgage that you have. And that's the key piece of this, because if your new mortgage at a new appraised value is higher than the current mortgage that you have, then you have equity in that property that you can use. So I've got 170 on that mortgage. They appraised at 280. 80% of 280, I think, is about 224. Yeah. So 224 is the new mortgage. I've got a mortgage for 170. What's my gap there? It's $54,000. That's how much money I get in a check to me when I complete this transaction. And that's cash that I borrowed tax-free, right? Because that's yep. money. And I can go use that money to go invest in another property. So that's how the refinance process works. And that's how that's exactly how it worked on that deal. And that's equity. That's actual that's equity. If you were to sell that house on that day, that is how much money you'd be able to pull out. Plus you still got 20% locked up into it because you got a mortgage of up to 80. So you still got 50 six thousand dollars in equity if you sold that property that day yeah so exactly. yeah it's, it's a great way to to pull equity out without having to actually sell the property i mean you are going to pay interest you're going to pay interest on that but it's like whatever your interest rate is at that time three percent if you can without selling your house you can keep the one rental property and pull out fifty four thousand dollars at three percent and go buy another one that's that's pretty cool now you have two properties and you never had to sell the first one Mm -hmm. And what I found in conversations with people about this, Wayne, is like, is there, there is a mentality around that needs to be shifted. And this was one of the biggest things that I learned from, from Alfonso was there's this shifting of, of mindset from, you know, being an investor uh, or sorry, from being a, a consumer to being an investor. And when you're looking at say re-upping a mortgage, right? And, and refinancing property. The initial thought for most people is, oh my gosh, I'm going to get more debt. I don't want more debt. I want to pay it down. And the reframe around that is to say, okay, well, what is this debt associated with? If this mm -hmm. debt is associated with, say, some sort of depreciating purchase, or it's not covered by your rental income, then yes, it probably doesn't make sense. But if you're re-upping this debt and your rental income is still covering it and you're still cash flowing, maybe you're cash flowing a little bit less, but you're still cash flowing, it's being paid for. And this debt, this debt that you've now got is able to go finance further asset um, acquisitions that allow you to get even more income coming in or also to take on more asset um associated debt that's covered by more rental income. So there's this reframe that needs to take place where it's like, okay, you got to get comfortable with this idea of having debt. Remember when I told, like when I told you about having $200,000 in debt, this was back when I had that mindset of like, oh my gosh, I've got to pay this back. As soon as I pay this back, I'm going to be good again. Well, it doesn't make sense when you're trying to build a portfolio because in reality, every time I can re-up on that debt and still have it covered by rental income, then I can go take it, use it somewhere else and continue the process. What's crazy is this is literally seven years later and I had this conversation with a friend of mine not too long ago. When I was 21, I had $200,000 in debt and couldn't sleep. And I, I don't say this to brag right now. I have more than 10 times that amount of debt now and I'm more comfortable with it than ever. And that's seven years. So if we just like transition that another seven years, we're going from 200 grand at 21 to 2 million at 28 to 20 million at 35 to 200 million at 42. And it's this, you know, the numbers are just getting bigger, but the mindset is staying the same. If mm -hmm. my income off those debt associated assets is coming back with me, I can continue to do this process.
right? And that's what every real estate investor does, right? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've heard it from you know, people who have one property to guys who are literally running, you know, multi-million dollar hedge funds and, and pre, you know, private equity corporations. They all say the same thing. They're like, the principles are the same. The numbers just get bigger. Yeah. What all exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I want to start fast forwarding things a little bit. I apologize. I kind of kept you in that, um, the early stages there for a little while, but I don't want to skip any details in the middle, but you know, I want to start fast forwarding to the point where you started thinking about maybe I should leave my job. And also when did revenue uh, come into play as well? When was that established? Yeah. Um, So let's start with, with revenue. Um, Revenue started to be not not established by me this is already an established real estate investing educational brand from before right um julie broad dave peniak they were the ones who started it up and mm-hmm. then my my current partners on it were actually the ones who brought me into it um they just needed another person to help facilitate different things whether it was doing a podcast or you know thursday nights we host a, a live q a call with the people who are part of our program you know, it's just a quick hour long, basically open office hours where people can come in and ask their questions. And it's just a great place for people who are new and like looking to get into the game to be able to ask those questions in a comfortable space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got brought into that. This was basically, I don't know, it's coming up on about nine months ago, right? Like we really started getting into it, my involvement in it back in January of this year. Um, so that's when that started. But Prior to that, I mean, leaving, leaving the job was something that, you know, I was really looking at doing, that was probably around end of 2018. Um, you know, I'd been working as a mining engineer for almost three years at that time. Was was really not pleased with my lifestyle. Um, didn't want to keep doing it. Yes. Was making good money. Um, yes. Was, you know, uh, having the opportunities to to go places and do certain things and have a good amount of time off because when you when you work as a mining engineer usually there's a different schedule you know Monday to Friday is not really a thing um, you could work Monday to Thursday and have a three day weekend or work for a week and then have a week off um, but it was starting to weigh me down um, not enjoying the work not feeling uh, purposeful at work while on the flip side feeling like super inspired. Uh, super driven, super ambitious to build my portfolio, try and push myself on and build all these other relationships in different areas. We can imagine like trying to live almost two completely incongruent lives within one. Mm-hmm. It just, it slowly pulls you apart, you get burnt out. And it was once I switched jobs to um, come back to BC in 2019 that that's when I really started thinking about okay I, I need to get out of here I need to fully pursue one option with all of my energy and um, that's when I started to to look at how am I going to get out of of mining <laughs> and into something else yeah. it's, it's it's crazy because I think that there is I think it's difficult I think it's difficult trying to grow something with an employee mindset like it's how do you how do you turn that employee mindset off at five o'clock at night or on your two weeks off on your rotation and suddenly have an entrepreneur mindset like how did you balance it oh man i didn't (laughs) um it was hard it was incredibly hard i mean yeah you you're you're so fired up to to be able to create your own schedule um to be able to set your time to really show up in interactions with people the way that you want to be right like like right now um like i I feel like you're talking to the real me you know and whoever's watching this can can experience that but if you were talking to me in the office of being a mining engineer you would have got like a very like you would have got a shadow of of who i am and the more you are that person the less you can be somebody else right and i'm just like caught between trying to be somebody who's growing something and somebody who gets told what to do all the time and like you know uh, take the album you know scan in scan out you okay you were here for 12 hours you know check this box do this do this 
have 50,000 people asking you to do things, um, but never really feeling that true sense of ownership. I'm not making being an employee a bad thing. I think it's great for a lot of people. Um, and you have to be a good employee in order to be a good owner of something as well. But yeah, trying to trying to do both those things at the same time for two different organizations, one that was my own that I was trying to grow and the other one where I'm a, a cog in what feels like this machine. Uh, yeah, it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I, I didn't know how to shift gears. And mm. uh, that led to really poor performance as an employee, to be perfectly honest. Um, and it led to not moving as fast in my own business. And mm. so now you feel like you're not doing good anywhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got to make a call. Am I going to be all in on being an employee or am I going to be all in on my business and try and make it happen? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that's when I was like, okay, look at my portfolio. How can I make this happen financially so I can feel comfortable to do this, make a plan for it, execute that plan, and then give myself a runway. And within that runway, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go build what I want to do within real estate. Worst case scenario, I have to go back and work for a year. Okay, I can handle it. So let's go do this. And a lot of people, um, they might criticize that because, you know, that is a that is a very risky move. And so how did you, how did you offset those risks? I mean, did you just have the one income source, like just the, the cash flow, or were you doing other stuff in real estate too? Yeah, that's a great question, man. Um, you know, everybody's different. Um, some people can just fly by the seat of their pants and, and figure it out. Uh, I don't have that inherent nature. I like, I'm, you know, I'm secure in some senses. So what I did was um, I, I sold one of my real estate investments, which is which was really hard to do actually, uh, because it kind of goes counterintuitive to everything you learn in, in, you know, your real estate investing education. It's like, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. And I'm like, okay, right. well, I'm, a, I'm about to exit it. Like, what am I, this doesn't make sense. But I had a good chat with, uh, with another investor. And I said, Hey, like, I, I got to get out. I got to do something. And she said to me, well, tell me about your portfolio. <laughs> At the time, had seven properties, had this one in Prince George, the first one I bought. I knew there was going to be some big maintenance coming up. Um, the market was doing really good. And yeah, I had like $60,000, in equity in it. And, and I just looked at it and said, well, okay, well, if I sold this property and gave myself sixty grand and 12 months, is that enough time for me to get to a place where I can just keep it going. And to like put some perspective on that, like my life has never cost me 60 grand for a year. Like I, I can, I can live for 2,500 bucks a month, very comfortably and, and very happily. <clears throat> so I basically gave myself a cushion of like double that because I wanted to be able to invest in myself, invest in certain things and also live. So that's what I did. I gave myself that financial cushion. I had to sell a real estate investment to do it. But like at 27 at the time to have that option was such a blessing because man, I got so many friends or people I know who are in their twenties who are like miserable at a job. Uh, they don't have any ambition anymore. They haven't tried anything new and they don't have that choice. They got to keep going. They got to keep churning. They got a mortgage in Vancouver to pay for now. It's so like, I'm sorry, man, but I had that opportunity because I made a choice when I was younger. Yeah, that's why I'm so passionate about people who are young right now in their 20s. I mean, like, give yourself the opportunity to make a shift without having to throw caution to the wind around whether or not you're going to be able to live your life comfortably. Because that's what that allowed me to do. Right. And so, you know, for anybody who's looking to do that, you got to look, okay, how much money do I need to, to live? And, you know, sorry, man, I'm on a tangent here. But like, a lot of people think oh, I love it. I love it. A, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, I've gotta I gotta have it all set up so that I can leave everything, never make another dime again, never work another day in my life, and have all that money set up when I quit. And that's such a burden on your ability to say, I'm pulling the plug now. Because you know, what what did I do? I needed 12 months 
if, if you can't make it happen in 12 months, again, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, you go back to your job, right? You find a new one or you go do something else. Like I work more than ever now on things that I love doing, <clears throat> which is helpful, right? I, I didn't quit and think to myself, $60,000 is going to last me the rest of my life because it's not from a financial standpoint, but it's giving me the window to figure it out. And I would, you know, maybe I'm speaking to random people, but like, I feel like for a lot of people, that's really just what you need. You need a time, you need a cushion financially to open up the doors and say, I want to try this. I want to go build this business. I want to open the cafe. I want to start a podcast. I want to teach people about what I did to leave this, you know, but you got to create that space. Otherwise you're just going to keep churning the wheels. You're going to be in that again, like you talked about in that employee mindset, you're going to be halfway between both and you're not going to be fully engaged in one thing that you're really excited about. And that hurts you and it hurts other people that could benefit from who you are. I love that you took a chance financing yourself and investing yourself. And you're absolutely right. The fact that you put the 60 or $65,000 there, it was there as a cushion because I think if you did it without that, you'd be constantly, every decision, daily decision you made would have been around, shoot, I need to put food on the table. Like I got to pay the rent, you know? So you left that there. So you don't have to worry about the bills and you can put all of your energy into growing. And and you believed in yourself enough to think that at the very least, I'm going to make $65,000 this year. And it, you, you're absolutely right. If you don't, no big deal. At least you tried. How mm-hmm. many people do you know actually try? Like yeah. zero? <laughs> not, not many. I know I know a bunch now because they're all, they, they, they see you go do it and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to go try that. And, you, and you're kind of like the, the flame or the spark that said, yeah, okay, wait, I, I could do that too. Right? And, it, and would it not be a better world if everybody decided that, yeah, they were going to take a chance on, on what they wanted to do and then tried to make it happen? And whether or not they did the same, better or worse financially, would they not be a better person as a result of it? I would 100% argue that they always would be. I, I see a, a, a guy on here, John, who's just like a, made a message here because John and I are working on a deal together right now. We've got one of our one of the flips that we're doing in Regina. Uh, and like I've been hang, I've, I've seen John in a, a number of different groups, number of different investment groups. Um, so I know what he's about. I know who, who he is and what he's been trying to do. He, he left the job. He went to uh, Kimberly and 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 did a six unit renovation. And you know he took a chance on himself and took a chance on the investment, and made it happen. And you know John seems like a much happier guy as a result. He's still figuring it out, and so am I. But he's like. You know, he's far beyond probably what he was before. And, you know, him and I never would have met if we had both been, if I'm hanging out at the, in the engineering shop and he's hanging out in the, in the plumbing shop, right? Like never would happen. So, you know, yeah, it's, yeah you got you to take a chance. I, that's super inspiring, man. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think you kind of answered it and I had a question lined up. I was, I wanted to ask was that, if someone's in their twenties listening right now and they want to replicate your path, you know, do you have any tips for them or advice specifically? Yeah. It's tricky. Um, the more, the more I've talked to uh, people in their twenties or anybody who wants to start investing in real estate, I I'm actually kind of against you know, this idea of, you know, direct replication, because I don't think everybody's situation is the same. I think mm-hmm. you can find people who have done um, strategies or, or certain tactics that have worked for them and be interested in what it is that they're doing and then go and try it and test it and see if it's right for you. And if mm-hmm. it's right for you, then you can learn a little bit more and perhaps replicate exactly what it is that they do um but i think you know the first thing for i would say for anybody who's in their 20s who wants to you know get started in in this kind of thing is to really ask yourself you know of course it sounds cliche but why do you want to get started in this like what is the real estate investment going to do for you whether it's buying a property or, or lending on a deal or 
you know, becoming a, an equity partner of some kind or becoming a working partner. Like, why is it that you want to do it? Um, because there's so much information out there and so many different strategies that could be used that it's really easy to get pulled in 10 different directions and think you're just going to do everything, which is unrealistic. Right. Um, so the, the first thing would be like, yeah, why are you getting into it? And, and the second thing, actually, most importantly, in my eyes, is what is it going to bring for your lifestyle? And this one, I jumped over because, you know, I made the decision that when I started to get serious about my real estate, um, building a portfolio, it was at all costs, build the portfolio and get it to a point that, you know, I set a goal. I wanted to double it from three to six in a year. And I did that at the cost of everything else, right? Now, yes, it set me up to be able to do this today, but it wasn't really intentionally thought out that way, right? And so I would say it's key to get clear on what it is that you want real estate to do for your lifestyle. Because if, if you want to make 20 grand in real estate by flipping a house, you can do that. But recognize what flipping a house will do for your lifestyle. You will effectively, if you're going to do the work yourself, you're going to effectively eliminate your weekends. You're going to have a lot of stress. Um, you're probably going to have to learn new skills if you don't have them already. And what happens if the deal goes south? Can you handle that as well? There are a lot of things that are in the background. Whereas, you know, if you're sitting there in your 20s, you're making good money and say you already have a property or something under your belt, you have a HELOC and you can lend it out some money. You could make 20 grand in real estate on lending. You mm -hmm. could make 20 grand in real estate being a financing partner. And you wouldn't necessarily have to put all this time and energy personally into doing it. So I don't know. It's kind of a wraparound answer, but like getting clear on what you want real estate to do for your lifestyle is, is really important as opposed right. to. And, and we have to be cautious. We have to be cautious not to, to try and inspire people too, too much because this isn't for everyone. Um, I, I, and I don't want to categorize or I don't want to label it, but there are certain people who, who have, have it in them to, 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 to cut the strings and go and other people, um, maybe a more conservative approach. Um, but if you relate and you're on the same wavelength as Doug, definitely it is possible. Just make sure that you you set yourself up so that you're not, um, you're not too exposed. Right. And, and I don't believe you're married. No, no kids. So, you know, he doesn't have to, you know, rely on, you know, kids and, and stuff like that or someone else. So it's, it's a little different and everyone's dynamic is going to be a little different, but you know, if you are going to make that decision, like I, I'll, I'll support you. Like I'll, I'll high five you, but just make sure you got your, you, got the rest covered because you don't want to put yourself in a, in a horrible situation. And I would feel very poorly as I'm sure Doug would, if mm -hmm. we found out they're like, Oh, I listened to that podcast and I quit my job. <laughs> and then it went badly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we have to throw that disclaimer out that. Sure. Um, sure. Well, you know, just as a note on that Wayne, like uh, I, I believe firmly in, in two things. And they almost seem like they almost seem like they're maybe um, contradictory of each other, but it's like, you, you have to be willing at some point to pull the trigger on something, right? You have to be willing mm -hmm. to believe enough in yourself that you can take action and, and almost believe or convince yourself that it's going to work out. And even if it doesn't work out, it's having that belief of knowing, okay, it didn't work out. So I'm going to be able to do something great next time and learn the lesson, right? So that's one side of it. And then the other side of that is to say, no matter what happens, good or bad, I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. And when you do that, you lift this weight of having to find the excuse out there as to why things aren't working out for you or why you did it wrong or whatever. No, everything that you do is your responsibility, right? So mm -hmm. if you own that and you win, you can pat yourself on the back. If you own that and things go badly, it's also on you and that's okay. It's totally okay because you can go try again. 
again, that worst case scenario, okay, we failed. What happened? Okay, great, it's done. Let's go back to work for a year. Let's reestablish ourselves. Let's keep learning. Let's keep evaluating. Let's keep trying to find what the next thing is going to be and then go again. Try again. Let's keep trying again. Your life isn't, your life isn't over. It's not right? done. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, gosh. You know, think, okay, I, I got to share, share this. And again, I know we're trying to, you know, breed caution, but also inspire at the same time. And that's this. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody came to you today, I remember talking with a, with a good friend Parker about this. He's like, if somebody came to you today and said you had five shots in your thirties to hit a home run, financially speaking. Okay. But on every time you also had an equal potential of going bankrupt, but knowing that let's say you, you hit the, you got up to the plate five times, right? If you got knocked down in the first time you went bankrupt and then you got yourself back on your feet, and went for the next shot and went bankrupt again. Now you're 33, okay? Now you get your feet back up again. You make some money, you come back, and then you go bankrupt again. And I was like, where are you going with this, Parker, man? I don't understand. He's like, okay, well, what happens if on the fifth time you build a $10 million company just like that on your fifth time? If I told you when you were 30 that you were going to stay at your job where you made a million dollars a year, but you never pushed yourself, you never challenged yourself, and you ended up at 40 with that $10 million company, that $10 million, whatever you got, right? Like, what's the difference? You know what I mean? You're now mm-hmm. at 40, you've hit that home run, or you were at 30, you stayed the same, and you just kept chugging along, right? You got the same result, but the person who took all those chances, the person who tried to make it happen, and you know, they lived in a space of possibility as opposed to dreading the fact that they were just stuck on the same thing over and over and over again and getting to the same spot. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be the guy who takes the chance. That's all I'm saying. Right. I'd rather be that guy. I'm right there with you, man. Well, I completely agree. Yeah. You don't strike me as the type of person who gets stuck. Debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Like, did you or do you ever experience analysis paralysis? Mm. I used to a lot. I used to a lot. And I still have to guard against it. So I'm, yeah, I'm an engineer by, by training, right? I, I have a mining engineering degree, good at math, good at all that, whatever spreadsheet crap. Okay. So when you have that, uh, like when you have that mentality, when you have that brain, you do want to find all the details. When you pitch a deal, you want to share all the details, not recognizing that the person on the other end maybe doesn't need to hear them. So like, yes, I have to fight that constantly. And it's and it always is an ongoing battle. But that being said, it's important for me to get to a certain point in analysis so that I feel comfortable taking those what some people would look at as risky leaps right to go back to the quitting the job right it would be it would be a very risky leap for me to have not looked at my entire portfolio and looked at for for the opportunity to find the cash to give myself the buffer and to give myself the cushion but once i had reached that point where i've realized okay i can make it happen and what's the worst case scenario if I say make a mistake or you know temporarily get defeated, then I need to jump. Because if I don't jump, it's in my nature to keep searching for more and more details. Mm-hmm. But it's like that 80-20 principle, right? Like when you hit 80%, that's when it's time to go. Because the amount of time that it takes to get from 80 to 90% is not going to be outweighed, or sorry, it, it, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be outweighed by the amount of return that you get on that. It's going to take you a lot of time in analysis to get the details you need to go from 80 to 90% confidence. Why not figure out that last 20% as you actually go into action? You're going to take just as much time figuring out an action and you've already made the jump. You've made the decision to go. So if you're somebody who's stuck in that analysis paralysis space, know, know that like people who have this they, they, they fight it. And at least in my experience, I fight it by getting to 80 and then jumping. 
and then just trusting the fact that I can get to 80 means that I can get to another 80 somewhere else. And right. I just keep going and keep going, keep going, keep going. Because yeah, you're right, man. Uh, before I would, I would stick there and I would wait and I wouldn't make the call, you know, and, and then you get stuck and you get frustrated and then you read another book and then another 10 months go by and you still haven't bought a property or you still haven't left your job and you keep, you keep reading the personal development you keep looking for that next little thing. Oh, maybe this next one, maybe this next one. You're looking for that extra percentage as opposed to making the decision. Yeah, I've already got everything I need. Let's jump. I'll figure the rest out on the way down. Right. Mm. That's to me how I've, how I fought it, but I, I do continuously fight with it. That's, that's, that's one of the scariest things to me is that, you know, when you have this amazing idea or this amazing opportunity and you think, Oh, I'm going to do that on Friday. And then Friday comes along and oh, I'm going to do it on Monday. And then Monday comes along and you're like, Oh, something else. And then you just keep pushing off, pushing off. Next thing you know, a month's gone by and you're like, man, I can't believe I wasted a month, mm-hmm. a month of your life yep. and the opportunities you could have created. Mm-hmm. I had a, a question a little earlier on from Irina and uh, I wanted to wait till the end to make sure that um, we kind of stayed on the same theme, sure. um, but she <laughs> might be a difficult question. Um, but she asked, I heard that it might, there might be a recession in the next few months um, uh, going through COVID with COVID continuing. Do you have any thoughts? Um, <clears throat> I do have thoughts, but I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel like a qualified resource to offer any advice in this um i'm gonna keep doing my thing to be honest um you know my you talked about earlier you know what did you do to to create an income source while while um after you left your job and i have two streams with my real estate on one hand i have a long-term buy and hold portfolio that is building wealth over time and in another section of what i do i have more active income producing real estate this is actually doing flips right? So I'm a financing partner. I kind of bring the deals. Uh, I, I organize the deal. I manage the acquisition, the disposition, all those parts of the deal from a financial side of things. And then I take a, a cut of the profit to do that, right? And that is, in essence, my income source because I don't have a ton of cash flow for my portfolio, to be perfectly honest. And I wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough to live off. Of. So like, I don't have in my head, oh my gosh, like, you know, this COVID thing is happening. Um, I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. Like, I'm aware of what's going on. So yes, maybe I'm not going to try and go through this giant acquisition period because that's not what I want to do right now. But I wouldn't let it stop me from continuing to flip where I'm doing it, right? We've created a model that works for us, right? And again, this kind of goes back to this thought of like, okay, well, if a recession comes, am I like, am I out of the game? Because if, if a recession comes, I'm excited. I'm not upset because first things first, I don't need to sell any of my properties. So I don't need any of that money to come out. So I don't need to sell on a down cycle anywhere, period. I'm, I'm good. I'm done. But what happens if with my flips, right? Okay, well, let's say we can't sell a flip. What do we do? We turn around, we rent for a bit. Yep. Problem solved, <laughs> right? Or we do a rent to own. There's other options. So I'm not going to sit there and freak out about the potential of not being able to sell an asset. Not only that, but what does a recession mean for my potential to find more deals? It goes up, right? So, so while I'm maybe, you know, while some people may be concerned about that, as an investor, as somebody who's looking for deals and believes in the power of real estate and what we do there, if a recession comes, I'm welcome to it. From a, from a countrywide standpoint, I don't want that. I want people to do well. But I'm also going to be there if someone needs to say offload a property and we can take, it, take advantage of that, help them out, get them out of a sticky situation like we did on our previous flip that we're doing now, You know, make sure that they get the money that they need We'll go take it. We'll go do the work. We'll go create a new opportunity for a new family. And then we'll get paid on the back end. So yeah. those are kind of my thoughts around it. I'm, I'm not qualified to give economic advice or point in directions, all this stuff. I, I'm, I'm going to be aware of it, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm confident in it. And like I said, you know, 
I'll be able to figure it out if things go a different direction. Just have that confidence. Yeah. And my thoughts are very similar. I'm not going to speculate on whether it's going to happen or whether it's not going to happen. I mean, how if it does, there's nothing you can do about it, right? You can't control that. The, the, the only thing you can control is to make sure that your portfolio is recession-proof to the best of your ability so that you can ride something like that out. If you're playing loose, you're, you're exposed. Mm. And what? I love I loved your point. I loved your point about the fact that, you know, with whenever problems are created, there's also opportunities if you're a problem solver. And that's the way I see it. Um, not necessarily taking advantage of people, but using the skills that I've developed to help people and to make a business out of it, to profit from it is, I, I'm not excited for it, but mm-hmm. that's the way that if it happens, I pivot. Exactly. Exactly. I, I had a thought that I wanted to add to that. Um, oh, just in relation to this, one, one of the things, tactically speaking, I'm sure a lot of people that you've, you've had on or spoken to have said this already, though, is, is to just reiterate, um, the interest rates are really low right now. And mm. so if you've, you know, and I'm starting to look at it with, with my brother and the portfolio that we have, um, you know, we got a number of different mortgages in the past two, three years on these properties that, that we have in our portfolio. Um, and the interest rates are good. You know, I'm talking like 2.7, 3.1, but relative to what they are right now, there is a massive difference between what they are. Not only that, but we've also seen two years of appreciation in a lot of the markets that we have. So if, if you're sitting there like I am and evaluating your portfolio and, you know, what do I do in the event of a recession, you know, I would be looking at it right now to consider this possibility of refinancing or doing early renewals to take advantage of the interest rates that exist. You know, I got offered 1.8% on a mortgage recently. Mortgage renewal, which is absurd. I couldn't believe it. I was like, done. Let's do this right now. Um, yep. And that's literally changing. Like, uh, it's a small mortgage, but like the difference in monthly payment is 100 bucks. Like, it's small, but on a large scale, if I do that across my portfolio, all of a sudden I go from a portfolio that's cash flowing like a thousand bucks a month to well over two grand just yeah. on mortgage payment changes alone. Not only that, if I can refinance some of those properties, I'm paying less in mortgage payments and I have more equity to go do deals. So that if a potential recession comes, not only do I have less financial obligations from a debt servicing standpoint, I also have more equity to be able to find opportunities and deploy that in a depressed market so that when things turn around, I'm in a good position there too. Right? Yeah. Doug, this is this has been awesome, and there was a there's a bunch of other spots that I wanted to go today, but just the, the conversation was just flowing so nicely, and you were throwing out so many nuggets and 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 so much value. So I want to thank you so much for for sharing all that. Um, as we wind down, is there anything that you would like to to talk about specifically um, in regards to revenue or your podcast or or how can people find you as well if they're interested in reaching out to you? Yeah, I'm I'm in a weird spot uh, right now. Uh, maybe this isn't the best thing to say from a promotional standpoint, but whatever, I'll, I'll just do it. Um, I'm like, I'm in this halfway phase with social media right now. I, I just watched this documentary called The Social Dilemma. If if anybody's um, curious for a really good watch, purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very good. It makes you think a lot about uh, of, you know your social media platforms and stuff. I'm not as active on them as I would say I want to be. Um, I find it a bit of a hassle, but I love doing this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I love doing long form podcasts because I'm the kind of guy that I don't want 20 minutes to just like pump up. I want to hear the full story. That's why when I do a show uh, on my shows, they're long episodes like like we're doing right now. Um, so yeah, if you do want to, you know, reach out to me or, or find me. Um, my Facebook page is Doug Myers uh, hyphen real estate investor. Doug Myers on Facebook is probably the best place to go. Um, also, you can find me on the revenue page as well. So revenue is R-E-V-N-Y-O-U. Um, and that place is really a platform, you know, our, our slogan, our motto, and what we really believe in is we want to help people understand the real risks and rewards of profitable real estate investing. 
And I hope that's come across in some of the stories that I've told, because it's not all about the glitz and glam. It's not all about the, the, the quick 20 grand. Like, you know, yes, if you do things right, and yes, if you plan and prepare for those things, they can happen. But there's an equal number of experiences that you will never hear about in those, in those kind of like salesy type ways that need to be told and they need to be spoken about. You need to be aware of them. And that's one of the things that I'm so cautious or, or cognizant of when we do our thing with revenue, right? So it is a real estate investing education company. We are, I would say, a, a very low priced option for people who either want to go from zero to started or they're in that phase where they're stuck. They maybe got one to two to three properties like I did, and they want to scale it up to an actual real estate investing business. We do that as well. Um, so you can check that out. It's on revenue.com. That's the website for that. And then, yeah, I got my two podcasts, which I've been very behind on. Uh, Revenue with Real Estate podcast. We're going to do one. We're going to go uh, the the other way. I'll interview Wayne. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just spoken with a lot of real estate investors, a lot of entrepreneurs on the on the different podcasts. Grow, Give, Expand podcast as well. Um, yeah, man, I'm living an interesting life right now. And uh, I'm just looking for, for more and more people who are like me to be a part of it and, and create an impact. So appreciate what you're doing, man. I'm so glad, glad to be on a podcast. It's the first time I've been on one as an interviewee. So hopefully it was really yeah actually no no, no. This, is time. this is the second time i apologize but yeah this is the first yeah. time i've done it on a video so uh this is fun man i gotta do more like this you fooled me man that, no you did fantastic and and i know that's going to be extremely popular um thank you again and uh and thank you everyone for listening yeah you're very welcome Wayne. thank you for having me